Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Maybe we'll do this later, too. Peggy Noonan with a column in the Wall Street Journal today about Joe Biden's different image for the 2024 election versus the 2020 election. Hmm. He's more of a Clinton than a lunch pail Joe at this point, says Peggy. Interesting. Newman. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. So the rise of Trump has been explained by various folks in various ways, and those explanations have ranged from the unspeakably moronic and, and grossly oversimplified to pretty insightful at times. One of my favorites, somebody said that uh, a lot of working America – um, well, a lot of America, period, has gotten nothing but condescension and judgment from the left and false promises from the right about globalization, that sort of thing, for instance. That it would, do, oh, it's good for everybody. Yeah, my the plant I worked at for 20 years just left. Anyway, uh, David Brooks of the New York Times is, uh, he's uh, allegedly a conservative. He's kind of a moderate conservative of a New York Northeastern bent. Um, but he's a good writer, though. And his piece this week is getting a lot of attention. The headline is, what if we're the bad guys here? And he writes about how Trump is still dominant in spite of all the uh, indictments and stuff. And I'm going to read you a pretty good chunk of this. It's more reading than generally we do, but it's just so good. And I was looking for stuff to edit out, and there just isn't much. But he writes, we anti-Trumpers often tell a story to explain his viability. It was encapsulated in a quote from the University of North Carolina political scientist Mark Hetherington, quote, Republicans see a world changing around them uncomfortably fast, and they want it to slow down, maybe even take a step backward. But if you're a person of color, a woman who va values gender equality, or an LGBT person, would you want to go back to 1963? I doubt it. Boy, I hate you, whoever you are. Who's, who yeah. said this? 
Yeah, whenever yeah. it's a, the Republicans are just have trouble with, uh, you know, a black man was president and that was, oh, shut up with that. That is, speaking of condescension and judgment, that was just dripping with grossly oversimplified condem- uh, condemnation. Yeah, go to hell, Mark Hetherington. Anyway, in this story, we anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarians. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this story, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot in chief, the embodiment of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. I partly agree with this story, but it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. Yeah, I've got a reason why you partly agree with that story, David Brooks, but I'll get to that later. So let me try another story on you. I ask you to try an advantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys. In fact, we're the bad guys. The story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go fight in Vietnam, but the children of the educated class got college deferments, including Trump, ironically, uh, plus his heel. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working-class areas in Boston, but not on the upscale communities like Wellesley, where they themselves lived. Huh. Yeah, we'll return to that theme in a bit. The idea that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class live lives in a world up here and everybody else is forced to work in a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of these systems is the modern meritocracy. We built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality that we possess most, academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high-paying professional jobs, and pour enormous resources into our children who get into those same elite schools, marry each other, and pass their exclusive class privileges down from generation to generation. Ding, 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 ding so far. My only objection to to that part of his argument is that it's a very northeastern point of view. Those of us who've lived and grown up in the rest of the country, it's not that stratified and not in the same way. There's truth to it. It's just not quite the same as, you know, you live in New York, New England. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Daniel Markovitz yeah, summarized. I think, I, think, yeah. I think growing up in the rural Midwest, I saw all that on TV, though. It mm-hmm. wasn't where I lived at all. I mean, we were, everybody was the same practically everywhere I lived. <laughs> like, everybody was roughly the same size house with the same kind of car, Same um, mostly everywhere I lived. But we saw all that on TV. So we're completely aware of the existence of that. Mm-hmm. In the, yeah, so you it know, had a in, cultural effect. In the halls of power. So he writes, David Markovitz summarized years of research in his book, The Meritocracy Trap. Today, middle-class children lose out to the rich children at school. The middle-class adults lose out to elite graduates at work. Meritocracy blocks the middle class from opportunity. Then it blames those who lose a competition for income and status that even when everybody plays by the rules, only the rich can win. Again, I think that's overstated, but moving along. Uh, The meritocracy isn't only a system of exclusion, it's an ethos. During his presidency, Barack Obama used the word smart in the context of his policies over 900 times. What's the implication for anyone who disagrees with his policy? And perhaps didn't go to Harvard Law. They must be stupid. (laughs) 
Over the last decades, we've taken over whole professions and locked everybody else out. This is something I knew because I'd read about it, but you might find it extra interesting. Uh, Brooks writes, when I began my journalism career in Chicago in the, in the 80s, there were still some old, crusty, working-class guys running around the newsroom. Now we're not only a college-dominated profession, we're an elite college-dominated profession. Only 0.8% of college, graduate, uh, college students graduate from the super elite 12 schools. Less than 1%. A 2018 study found that more than 50% of the staff writers at the beloved New York Times and the Wall Street Journal attended one of the 29 most elite universities in the nation. That's incredible. Not It's not really surprising, but that that would occur and, and, and continue and they'd be okay with it and think, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we have the ability to to uh, represent the, the, the country as a whole. What are you talking about? Yeah, how astounding is that imbalance that the the Eastern media elite, who we're always mentioning, are half of them are from the top twenty nine elites universities in the nation. In a and when we all grew up, a lot of us who are a little bit older anyway, we saw journalism in a certain way. That was when it was a working class profession. You were a good writer, you were a good seeker of truth, etc., but you weren't some sort of elite, you know, Columbia University nose in the air Manhattanite. It's ridiculous. Then he goes on uh, another quote from Daniel Markovitz uh, as he puts it, quote, elite graduates monopolize the best jobs and at the same time invent new technologies that privilege super skilled workers, making the best jobs better and all the other jobs worse. Members of our class also segregate themselves into a few booming metro areas, San Francisco, D.C., Austin, and so on. In 2020, here's another couple of great statistics. Biden won about 500 counties, but together they're responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties, 2,500 to 500, responsible for only about 29%. And once we find our clicks, we don't get out much. In the book Social Class in the 21st Century, the sociologist Mike Savage and his co-researchers found that the members of the highly educated class tend to be the most insular, measured by how often they have contact with those who have jobs unlike our own. The, of course, not not shocking in the least. How, time, how, many, how many times have you heard us tell you that the Eastern media elite are the most bubbled of bubble peoples? There, there's proof of it. Or more evidence. Armed with all kinds of economic, cultural, and political power, we support policies that help ourselves. Free trade makes the products we buy cheaper, and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to China. Open immigration makes our service staff cheaper, but now less educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages. And it's not affecting your schools and emergency rooms. Exactly. And that's why... uh, Exactly. When uh, Brooks said, the story is partly true... That these dumb Republicans, they fear the other or the (laughs) coloring of America. If your school has all of a sudden 200 children who don't speak English and nobody can learn now because the teachers all have to catch them up on English, that's not fearing the other. That's a specific, undeniable, sickening concern about your children's future. That doesn't happen in David freaking Brooks' neighborhood. Nope. Or Nancy I shouldn't have Pelosi. dropped a freaking on him because he's being pretty good with this article. Or Nancy Pelosi, right? Good point. Like all elites, we use language and mores as a tool to recognize one another and exclude others. Using words like problematic, 
cisgender, Latinx, and intersectional is a sure sign that you've got cultural capital coming out of your ears. Meanwhile, members of the less less educated classes have to walk on eggshells because they never know when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired. And then he gets into another topic, which we talked about several weeks ago, the idea of luxury values. He doesn't name them that, but I like the term. He says, we also change the moral norms in ways that suit ourselves, never mind the cost to others. For example, there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children outside of marriage. But that got washed away during our period of cultural dominance as we eroded norms that seemed judgmental or that might inhibit individual freedom. After the social norm was eroded, a funny thing happened. Members of our class still overwhelmingly married and had children within wedlock. People without our resources, unsupported by social norms, were less able to do that. As Adrian Wooldridge points out in his 2021 book, The Aristocracy of Talent, 60% of births to women with only a high school certificate occurred out of wedlock. 60% compared with 10% of women with a university degree. That matters, he continues, because the rate of single parenting is the single most significant predictor of social immobility in the country, meaning the number one predictor, you're going to stay poor. The idea of the elite spouting revolutionary ideas about how to reform society and letting that wash around the poor neighborhoods. Meanwhile, they stay with the uh, Muffy and, and, and uh, you know, whatever in their giant house with their Harvard degree and the rest of it, living as they've always lived as society crumbles. There's just a little more. Do we have a minute? Yeah. Uh, Elite institutions have become so politically progressive in part because the people in them want to feel good about themselves as they take part in systems that exclude and reject. It's easy to understand why people in less educated classes would conclude that they're under economic, political, cultural, and moral assault, and why they've rallied around Trump as their best warrior against the educated class. He understands that it's not the entrepreneurs who seem most threatening to workers, it's the professional class. Trump understood that there was great demand for a leader who would stick his thumb in our eyes on a daily basis and reject the whole regime that we rode in on. If if distrustful populism is your basic worldview, the Trump indictments seem like just another skirmish in the class war between the professionals and the workers. Another assault by a bunch of coastal lawyers who want to take down the man who most aggressively stands up to them. Of course, the indictments don't cause Trump supporters to abandon him. They cause them to become more fiercely loyal. That's the polling story of the last six months. Yeah, I don't know if I'm as solidly in agreement with all the stuff around the Trump indictment uh, narrative. But all that other part, you know, about him getting elected in the first place and everything since is just so clearly true. And I think we've more or less said it in different words for the past six years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just so obviously true. It's just amazing that he, you know, is with enough studying and thinking about it is figured out what was obviously true. (laughs) My final note is, uh, you know, one of my greatest hits. To whatever extent we try to understand the world around us, particularly the United States of America, through the eyes of the media elite, we are being wildly misled. Of course. Look around you. That's America. Their version of America doesn't exist except in their tiny little cloisters. Right. Any comment on any of that? Text line 415-295-KFTC.
you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. An adult baby is somebody who enjoys dressing up and acting like a baby. And it could be as young as, you know, you want to be a six-month-old, or you can go up to two or three years old. It's whatever that feels right for you. I associate most with being two years old because I think it's the best of both worlds. You're young enough to still be able to use a crib and a bottle and diapers and all that stuff, but you're also still old enough that you can get around on your own and talk and tell people what you want. He is like well, a little baby. A great deal, sir. Yes, uh, that's a crazy person right there, a person with problems. That's from TikTok. Now, is that somebody who believes that? Is that the, the the gent was diapered, by the way, in the video with a pacifier in a crib? Doesn't mean it's not just a bit, though. I I, I I can't I can't tell in the current world who's who's jerking me around and going to laugh at me if I believe it versus you nut jobs who are actually doing some of this stuff. 
Mm, rang true to me. It did. Although I, your your greater point is well taken. The stuff we're supposed to accept is, well, that's just how they identify. has become so crazy you can't tell it from parody. I like the, so his preferred age to be, adult babies he's talking about, his preferred age to be is two or three because you can still wear a diaper. So you want to S yourself? That's the upside? Well, he's nuts. He has problems. Yeah. You know, if you just stop there, it kind of takes the fun out of the conversation. He's a crazy person. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't. They, they, there's so many different kinds of crazy. So I, I told the story of being at the farmer's market with my kids and a guy came into the crowd like right in front of us and started doing the splits and went clear down to the ground doing the splits and then started eating eggs out of his backpack and uh my kids and i were like what the hell is going on here well it turns out apparently that is some sort of tiktok thing it's got a name or something i don't know planking or stoking or something i don't remember what it was but it's got a it's got a it's got a name you just do the splits randomly in crowds and start eating eggs and <laughs> i just I, I, I don't know. I don't even know. What am I supposed to, am I supposed to I've, tip you or be disturbed or I don't know. <laughs> You're just the background of their video. I am uh, cynical about all of these idiotic TikTok trends, but the one that has amused me, I, get, I admit, is uh, when I get there, you better not be acting like it's a Wes Anderson film. And then they film these videos in exactly the style of the brilliant Wes Anderson. If you've ever seen any of his uh, his his movies, uh, Hotel Budapest, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, whatever. Uh, uh, what's the what was his first one that was a super big hit? I don't know this. I can't remember. Oh, you're a big Wes Anderson fan. I am. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, Bill Murray is in his movies all the time. Francis McDormand. Anyway. Um. And, and they perfectly replicate his filmmaking style, which is really cool and fun if you're into it. So just click around, you'll find it. Seems a little more uh, highfalutin than people doing the splits and eating eggs in crowds. Or eating Tide Pods, for instance, yeah. Hey, coming up, Kevin Kiley, who's one of the great conservatives in California, he is banging the drum about California trying to cover up the teachers' union caused, to a large extent, learning loss during COVID. Yeah, this matters all over the country, whether you're in California or not. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. 
Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So when the news came out this week that Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis, governor of California and governor of Florida, might be debating, I am so excited about that, at least partially because I want the great debate to occur, the reckoning over COVID policies. I want people to have to defend their decisions. Partially because I, like a lot of you, have kids that were in school and you know about the learning loss and how much of a setback that was. And it turns out for no good reason whatsoever. And now the maddening thing that in a lot of places, like in California, they're trying to hide the ball on that whole story. That's right. Everybody's want, well, anybody with a conscience and a brain has wanted some sort of accountability for the enormous damage done to kindergartners through college students. And it appears the cover up has begun uh, to discuss this. We've invited on Kevin Kiley's a first term uh, congressman serving California's third district. And he is living proof that not everybody in California has lost their minds. He was long part of the uh, California legislature as well. Kevin, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So in what way is California trying to keep people from knowing how bad the policies were? Well, I mean, this is just, I mean, even for California, uh, hard to believe what they're doing. You know, of course, as you were just alluding to, California had the worst school shutdown policies in the entire country. We were literally 50th out of the 50 states and getting kids back to school uh, and therefore harmed our students more than any state uh, in the country. So there's a lawsuit right now. Uh, that's about that, about the state's failure to prevent this catastrophic learning loss uh, during the whole uh, COVID era. Uh, and what the state is doing right now, the Department of Education in particular, is it's trying to stop researchers from testifying against it uh, in this lawsuit. And they have two people, uh, researchers from Stanford in particular, who are prepared to testify. In fact, one has already submitted a brief about how catastrophic these policies were. And the Department of Education is saying, no, no, because you have access to uh, state education data as part of an unrelated contract, we're going to forbid you from testifying in any lawsuit against 
the state or the Department of Education. Now, I say against because they'd welcome them to testify in a lawsuit on their behalf, but they're specifically barring them uh, from taking any position that is adverse to the department. If you want a clue as to how egregious this is, the ACLU, which has gone from being a defender of free speech to a far left activist organization, even the ACLU said, whoa, this is too far. We can't approve this. You're violating the professor's First Amendment rights. That's right. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying that anyone who does any sort of research with the state, uh, you can't testify against the Department of Education uh, in any sort of legal proceeding, uh, even if it has nothing to do with the nature of your research. And so the ACLU, you're right. I mean, they uh, have not been on the right side of a lot of issues lately, uh, but they are drawing a line here and saying this is clearly a violation of the First Amendment. And it's clearly viewpoint discrimination because it's the state barring a particular view that is one that is adverse uh, to what they're doing. They're shielding themselves from criticism. Yeah, well, I'm guessing the state is fighting so hard because what the Stanford professors would say would be pretty damaging and shocking. Do we have any idea what they would say? Well, yeah, one of them has already filed a brief. In fact, uh, that professor who filed this brief along with several other researchers uh, received a letter from the Department of Education saying, we're suspending your contract, the contract where as part of this person's just sort of general research, uh, they have access to state education data. They're saying we're suspending your contract because you signed on to this brief that was critical of us uh, in this ongoing litigation. And so it's hard to look at this as anything other than a cover up for what I think is pretty clearly established now as the most catastrophic domestic policy uh, decision in recent U.S. history. You know, directionally, it's only a couple of steps short of Putin having doctors pushed out of windows. I mean, I was just going to say it's an incredibly Soviet-esque, you know, you were seen in the street with a placard, now you're fired from your job at the factory. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) it's practically, they don't even bother veiling it. That's right. Uh, Welcome to California. I mean, you know, this is the state where uh, last year Gavin Newsom signed a law saying doctors were going to uh, take away your license uh, if you say anything about COVID that the state disagrees with. Uh, So, you know, we've had cases come out of California uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court has reversed uh, on First Amendment grounds. So all of the things uh, that are disturbing people, I think, across the country about a lack of respect for free speech and constitutional rights, California is sort of at the leading edge, and this is maybe the most egregious example yet. Congressman Kevin Kiley represents the 3rd District of California. Uh, Kevin, how how devastating was the learning loss? Do you have a grip on some of those numbers? Uh, yes. I mean, we've seen from the uh, recent uh, uh, results of the National Assessment of Educational Progress that uh, we've seen uh, declines in reading and math, uh, unlike anything we've seen uh, in in a long, long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, in California in particular, we were doing bad before all of the COVID shutdowns. We've had failing public schools in this state for a long time. By the way, I say this as a former uh, high school teacher, uh, is we were, even before the COVID shutdowns, 49th out of the 50 states in terms of learning outcomes uh, for kids in low-income communities. Yes, but, but it's very expensive to live here. So... No, wait a second. That doesn't argue. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, there's always an excuse, right? Uh, Just like uh, California is now declining in population uh, for the first time in our history. And the governor says, oh, that's just some sort of anomaly related to COVID. But with your point at the top, you have states that charted a much different course uh, that opened schools uh, that uh, went as soon as they could, uh, that followed the actual science. And now we're seeing that they're doing a lot better and not cause this generational harm 
uh, to our kids like hey, we've done in California. Hey, I cut you off. What was what's the one state that's worse than California with the schools? <laughs> I think it was Alaska. This was pre-COVID. So I'm, you know, California, I'm sure, has uh, has made some uh, headway in terms of doing even worse uh, since then. Take that, Alaska. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> think you're How's so smart. How's our exhaust taste? Yeah. Uh, so uh, in, in, I'm going to ask this question uh, in reference to California, but it's true of quite a few blue states around the country. How powerful now are teachers unions in politics, Kevin? Well, they're more powerful in California than anywhere, and their power is exerted more forcefully on this governor uh, than perhaps anyone ever. I mean, they have given him more funding uh, than any other California politician. And I remember I was there fighting against Newsom's school shutdown policies from the get-go, and the first time this really came to a head was heading into the school the fall in 2020. Uh, and Newsom had said, we're going to leave it up to districts, but then after a intensive uh, lobbying effort uh, by the statewide teachers union. He did a complete 180, was one of only five governors in the country that did a statewide school shutdown order. And that's what sort of locked in uh, the state of schools being closed that didn't reverse itself in large districts like LA Unified, San Francisco Unified, uh, for, you know, well over a year after that and uh, is responsible for the generational learning loss. And now as people of good conscience are trying to reckon with that and, and, and understand going forward how damaging that sort of thing can be, the state of California is trying to cover it up. Kevin Kiley, Congressman from the 3rd District of California. Uh, Kevin, we sure appreciate the time. Keep fighting the good fight and let us know how we can help. You bet. Thanks so much. Take that, Alaska. <laughs> your whale oil and your different words for snow and your whatever. Uh, I don't know if all that's true. Um... This would be hilarious if it were not so tragic. Oh, it's unbelievable. The fact that that Gavin Newsom, who's uh, wearing a choke chain wielded by the teachers unions, shut down all the California public schools for the longest anywhere in the country. Meanwhile, two blocks away from your public school, there was a private school that was wide open, and the kids were learning, and everybody was fine. In the next state over, all the schools were open. And everybody was learning, and everything was fine. All across Europe, all those schools were open, and everybody was learning, and everybody was fine. But in California and a few other blue states, Chicago, for instance, at the behest of the teachers' union, and to the detriment especially of poorer kids, those schools remain shut. And now, when you want to go back and take a look at how much learning loss was there, they won't even let professors who do this for a living reveal their data even if it takes tearing up the first amendment that is incredible i mean and then every article you see in the national media why are people leaving california well it's expensive and the taxes are high that ain't the half of it Mm. same reason people try to flee east germany they didn't want to live in a, a one-party state full of perverse policies. Yeah, no, I can't. I, I can't get emotionally worked up about this every single time. It's just so. It's so. It's so awful. These all these little kids. The, the little kids that missed the 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 experience of kindergarten, which is yes. you get once in your life. Kids that missed the experience of your senior year of high school, which you get once in your life, and everything in between. All those. Yeah. All those unique experiences, not to mention just the ability to read and write and function in society, all taken away for no good freaking reason. In the name of we care about kids, you're despicable. 
Right. Well, and you add to that the layer of that anti-Trump cultism that said Trump underplayed COVID, so I'm not going to let my kids have a play date. I'm not going to let them see their friends. I'm going to act like this is the proverbial wolf outside the door every second of every day in defiance of all scientific knowledge to prove my purity in the cult. And the kids suffered. It sickens me. All right, probably ought to wrap that up. Yeah. (sighs) Interesting story, though. Boy, Homo sapiens are a rotten species. My dog uh, we're all flaws is, we all yeah. fall short sometimes. Yeah, and sometimes we abuse millions of children. Yeah, I know. My dog, for all of his faults, has never done anything this evil. The economic news that broke today, we haven't touched on for a while. I'm looking at this headline from NBC News. Even as the U.S. unemployment rate sits at historic lows, job cuts continue to reverberate. And, and every, there are a record number of people not working and not looking. And there's help wanted signs everywhere. It's just all it's all so weird. It doesn't all fit well, together. Mm. It does if you know Adam Smith. What? Who is Adam Smith? Who's John Galt? Who are you? <laughs> what, what are you, you looking, looking at me? What are you looking at? Is <laughs> another good question. Uh, <laughs> we're on the way. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The president of the Wyoming Tennis Association just stepped down from a role because they're going to let a transgender female compete against the uh, a dude compete against the women and said, "Ah, this is ridiculous," and quit and protest. Good for you. Maybe more on that, among other things, in hour four, including clips of the week. So, uh, last segment, uh, kind of heavy on uh, outrage and anger and that sort of thing, appropriately so, but um, I think this could be kind of fun. Number, let's, we've collected, Michael has collected several uh, PSAs, public service announcements from back in the day that are pretty interesting. This one it really struck a chord with me, as you know, me, Joe Getty, advocate of free-range parenting and let kids make up their own games, make up their own rules, enforce their own rules, stop supervising every activity kids have. You're, you're, you're wounding them. You're handicapping them for life. Well, this reminded us of how wild Gen X was, and our parents were so laissez-faire, as one gentleman tweeted, that the almighty television had to remind (laughs) the adults that they actually had parenting responsibilities. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? And those were pop culture personalities. Everybody from Reggie Jackson, Sammy Davis Jr. to Andy Warhol. And uh, I can't even remember who else. Wow. I remember those ads. I was young, though, so I don't think I quite understood what they were driving at at the time. Well, and as I tweeted, um, I was drinking beer by the overpass, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's not entirely true. Uh, uh, let's see. What else do we have? Oh, let's do the, uh, you'll remember this one. Just play number two, Michael. Hi, I'm Woodsy Owl. In order to try and stop pollution, we need more help. So, help Woodsy spread the word. Come on. Never be a dirty bird. No matter where you go, you can let some people know to give a hoot. Don't pollute. 
So that's that was mostly about like not throwing trash on the ground and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I wish I wish they worked as hard at that as they do about climate change because you know that works. It gets into kids' heads and because because every kid is aware of climate change and SUVs and all that sort of stuff. But I don't think every kid is aware that throwing trash on the ground ain't cool. And the magic of music. I don't think I've heard that in 40 years and I could sing along with it. That was that's, from that's, 1977, by the way. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Uh, this one's an all-time classic. Number three. Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Dramatic, vivid, and utterly idiotic. So drugs turn my brain into delicious fried eggs? <laughs> is there anything that has worked on the drug problem? The the war on drugs, the PSAs, the ignoring it like they do and they've tried in some places? Is there anything that works? Mm, depends what you mean by works. Well. Limit, limits its damage? Causes yeah. there to be less of it. There seems like there's more of it now in my face than there ever has been well welcome to progressive states trying this experiment uh and the whole war on drugs thing that doesn't mean that every bit of that was a good idea either but it's that's a false choice uh speaking of drugs we played this earlier today but man delicious delicious eggs (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute (laughs) uh let's see uh number four ladies and gentlemen Pee Wee herman with a warning this is crack Rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine, and it can kill you. What's really bad is nobody knows how much it takes. So every time you use it, you risk dying. It isn't worth it. Look, everybody wants to be cool. But doing it with crack isn't just wrong. It could be dead wrong. Now I'm going to go see a movie. Or however he laughed. Wow, Pee-wee warning me off of crack. Well, if Pee-wee Herman says it's not cool, then I don't want any part of it. Well, if that's not enough for you, how about the cast of Star Wars warning you off of lung darts in 1980? Artoo, where are you? Artoo? Artoo, you're on fire! Artoo, you found a cigarette. Well, I don't think smoking is grown up at all. Because it's very dangerous. Smoking does dreadful things to your lungs and is very bad for your heart. Well, I know I don't have one, but humans do. And I think we should set a good example. Well done, Artu. You know smoking is bad for your health and it isn't grown up at all. So please, don't smoke. I think definitely the modern kid grows up with the idea that smoking's a bad idea. Yeah. Meanwhile, Princess Leia was going through two packs a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's her name? So I'm guessing at that time in 1980, we had lots of taxpayer money going to subsidizing tobacco growers, while taxpayer money was going toward telling you not to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, uh, they and, kind of fought to a draw. Yeah. In the way that we pointed this out several years ago, there was a great situation going on where we taxpayers were funding 
an eat more cheese campaign for some reason. Why the federal government would ever get involved in how much <laughs> cheese you eat. That was not <laughs> Thomas Jefferson's thinking. Uh, but so I, as a taxpayer, were funding eat more cheese and then eat less cheese from some sort of diet thing. That's right. There were simultaneous programs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Encouraging and discouraging <laughs> cheese eating. Both paid for by taxpayers. Oh, jeez. I can't decide if it's a good thing that that's still funny to me or if it should just make me angry. <laughs> it's made me hungry for cheese, for sure. Oh, my God. If you could dig up James Madison and tell him the federal government would get involved in how much cheese you eat. At got the a federal great level. A- Oh, yeah, I know. The federal government. What now? So we've got a great hour four to come. If you don't get it, grab the podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. A lot of stuff to squeeze in before the week is over. Hope you can join us. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.